Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. For the house, part two. Heart for the house. We're going to go to the word of the Lord, Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians chapter one. It says it this way. Amen. One verse twenty through twenty-three. It says it this way. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead. This is the message, and set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. Everybody say forever. He is in charge of it all. And he has the final word on everything. Read on. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Wow. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. In other words, the Lord's got his eye on the church. Not the world, it's the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he feels everything with his presence. We felt that tonight. We still feel it around here, don't we? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Amen. So heart for the house. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's have a heart for the house. Thank you, Randy. Lord, let me do real good tonight in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen. Now, my goal as pastor of this congregation is to encourage you to see Jesus in the church and to serve Jesus through the church. You got to hear me now. From God's perspective, the world is peripheral to God's eye. His focus is on the church, which is his own body. And the reason for this is the church is God's hope, everybody say hope, for the world. The need is in the world, but the hope is in the church. So God focuses on the hope for the world. God is committed, folks, to speak and to act and to feel everything with his presence through the church. One of the greatest stories in the Bible, one of the greatest stories that ever was told is found in Luke, the 15th chapter. And I'm going to describe the story. A son wants his inheritance. And so a father gives in and gives it to him and the son leaves. And the son spends all his inheritance on wild living. And when he has nothing left, he finds himself with the only job he can get, and that is feeding pigs. No food, starving with nothing. He realizes he is wrong. And so he comes to himself and he leaves to go back home to ask for forgiveness and just be a servant and not a son. He says, I have sinned to his father against heaven and against you, my dad, my father. And the father forgives him. Isn't that awesome? And he welcomes him back home. And then the father throws a party. He throws a party. He gets the fatted calf He gets a fine robe, puts a ring on his hand, and he throws a party, has him a good old gospel band, and they have a party. And the older son comes home to the party, and he is frustrated. He's frustrated. 
And so the father communicates his heart for both of them. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 31 and 32, here's what the father says. He said, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother, this brother of yours was dead. He's alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. We had to celebrate. We had to be glad. Here's the transition. So much of the attention goes to the prodigal son. Tonight I want to focus not on the prodigal son, but on the father. See, the tension in the house is being created because one son thinks the prodigal should not be welcomed back. And the father is so excited to have his son back but wanting the other son to jump in and enjoy the party with everyone. The father is put in the middle of the tension between those two sons, wanting both so desperately to see each other as special. And there's a tension of right versus wrong. Say right versus wrong. And so the older son says, I've done everything right, while he has done everything wrong. But this is not the case of right and wrong. It's a, it's a case of grace and compassion. It's a case of grace and compassion. The father had grace for the prodigal son, but he had compassion for the frustrated son. And not just telling him to deal with it because the father's heart was not only with the boy that was lost, the father's heart was also with the boy that had never left him. Matthew Henry said, we must not despair of the worst. For while there is life, there is hope. The grace of God can soften the hardest heart. I preached last week and I'm going to say it again tonight. There is nobody in Austin, Texas that is dirty enough that God can't save in this house. There is nobody in your lineage, nobody in your genealogy, nobody in your family, nobody in your home, nobody in your life that is so low that God can't save their soul. Somehow, if we've got a heart for the house, we've got to understand that this church is the body of Jesus Christ. And everything happens because Jesus is in the saving and the healing business. Say amen to that right now. He's in that business. So I want to make a few points here tonight, just a few little points, maybe three or four, perhaps five, six, eight, I don't know. But I want to say, first of all, the Father's heart is an open heart. Say it's an open heart. Everybody say, God loves people. Everybody say, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's heart is open to the lost and the broken. But his heart is also open to the committed and the faithful. His heart is open to everyone. I love the story in Acts 14. It's an overlooked story, but there is... There's a bunch of cities that just have revival, just one after another. 
And they're listed in Acts 14 like, like Lystra had revival. A lot of Gentiles came in. Iconium had revival. Antioch had revival. Pisidia had revival. Pamphylia had revival. Perga had revival. Attilia had revival. All these cities are listed in Acts chapter number 14. And in Acts 14, 27, 28, here is the synopsis of all it was, it was happening. It said, throw the door of faith wide open so people of all nations can come streaming in. Here's what God wants in this church. I don't care how long you've been in the church and how long you have sat on the justice robe and how long you have been in the, in the courtroom and how long you've judged people. It does not matter. We're going to stop that tonight again. And we're going to understand that this is God's church. We are his people. And we're not going to be the elder son with a bad attitude. We're going to be somebody that gets happy when anybody comes to the Lord. And on Sunday, when they get baptized in water, we're going to rejoice with the angels. Because they rejoice over one sinner who repents. Amen. God's heart is an open heart. Throw the doors of faith wide open. So people of all nations can come streaming in. We need a Lystra spirit, an Iconium spirit, an Antioch spirit, a Pisidia spirit, a Pamphylia spirit, a Perga spirit, an Antilia spirit. We need that spirit in our lives and our heart. The Father's heart is to have all, not just a few. He said, my house shall be filled. Everybody say filled. filled. My house shall be filled. The second thing I want to say tonight in Heart for the House is this. Imperfect people and the church go hand in hand. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not what you think you are. Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Say, I am, but you're not. I love y'all. You can't have one without the other. Don't confuse the people in the church with the purpose of the church. The reason Jesus told this parable of the prodigal son is that religious leaders of that time were talking about his approach to sinners. They didn't like it. See, the problem with religious leaders was they confused the people Jesus was with rather than seeing the purpose he was with them for. They said he runs with sinners. He runs with harlots. He heals lepers. The man's messed up. But what they didn't understand was that he wasn't just running with them. He was there on purpose. Because he loved those people and he loved them enough not to leave them where he found them. He wanted to change what they were to what they could become. And sometimes we as people of God lose the purpose of the church because we get to looking at imperfect people. Matthew 16 and 18, Jesus said down in Capernaum one day, he said, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Somebody got a watch. Somebody have a watch. Thank you, Josh. I am such a OCD about time. Wow, Josh. 
you make a great salary. You are the secretary, though, aren't you? Wow. Wow, got a connection with the man that sends our checks. Great watch, son. I'll trade you mine. I got one with a rubber band at home. I'll give it up for Brother Josh and Brother Mitch and Brother Brad. And They're awesome. But Jesus said, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, on this rock, what rock? The rock of Revelation, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not or will not overcome it. It is significant that, that Jesus tells Peter that. Then he changes his name from Simon, which means a reed blown by the wind, to the name Peter, which means a rock. And he uses an ordinary man to do extraordinary things. I want to tell you something, folks. Peter was no saint. He really wasn't. He was full of sin. He was full of doubt. He was full of human. And in spite of all of this, Jesus could still use him. He said, I'm going to build my church with imperfect people, with messed up people, with people with hurts and habits and hang-ups. And I'm here to declare, it doesn't matter what cave you crawled out of. When you found Jesus, all that stuff you crawled out of has been washed away. <laughs> he said, I'm going to deliver your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to trade your suffering and your sorrow for joy and gladness. I'm going to give you the oil of gladness for the spirit of mourning. I'm going to bless you with all you want in your life simply because I'm not going to remember what you used to be. Look at me and say, Pastor, I'm imperfect. Thank you for telling me that God can use imperfect people. Well, folks, I'm, I'm bald-headed. Really, in the Old Testament, I lacked what it took to become a priest to go in because I don't have the right stuff on my head. My nose is not quite the right kind of nose. There's a lot of qualifications for this stuff, but when Jesus came to the cross, it was an awesome thing because he took our sin. He nailed our sin to the cross. And he triumphed over the enemy. And I'm here to declare it to you. That's more than victory. He triumphed over the enemy. He said we can live in total victory. You don't look back at what God brought you from. You look forward to where God's taking you. You quit worrying about where God brought you from. And are your sins really forgiven? Are they really washed away? Yes, they are. But it doesn't matter. You're still imperfect in this life. But God uses imperfect people to get the purpose of the church accomplished. Clap your hands and say, I'm a part of that. See, when we focus, when we focus on people at church versus God's purpose through his church, it causes frustration. It causes strife. And it causes discouragement. You need to write that down. Turn to your neighbor again and say, I'm tired and I'm quitting focusing on you right now. <laughs> say, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to focus. Now, if you're in love with her, go ahead and say, I'm going to. I might look at you every now and then, but I'm not going to focus on the imperfections of church. Wow, I love this. I love this. 
When we focus on people instead of God's purpose, it causes frustration. In recent years, there's, there's been allegations of pastors and allegations of priests in the Catholic Church and allegations of the Episcopal Church and allegations in the Baptist Church. And there's been a lot of allegations. Things happen in churches. But the church has only one kind of people. They're all imperfect, saved by grace people. I'm not telling you this to try to make you feel bad. People have come to me and said, do you know so-and-so's getting a divorce? Really? And they say, what are you going to do about it, Pastor? And I, I, I want to say, do you want me to throw them out of the church? <laughs> people have problems. I had a boy one time in this church steal money from the offering plate. And I didn't handle him right. And I still, it bothers me to this day because I didn't handle him right. The little rascal was a thief. But Jesus kept one around three and a half years. I didn't handle him right. Because I want that boy to live for God. He needed to learn a lesson, but I probably, I probably didn't handle him just the way I should have handled him. Even though people say they don't, they really come with expectations of people in the church to be next to perfect. And that's why some people won't ever get in the church because they know too much about people in the church. But what we need to tell them is that there's not anybody here that's perfect in the sight of God. But we are people saved by the grace of God. And we love the grace of God and the mercy of God. Come on, clap your hands. I'm preaching to you right now. We don't need to focus on people. We need to focus on his purpose. How many remember the night he found you? Come on, let's have some fun right now. You was messed up, wasn't you? You was messed up. Lord, you was messed up. Some of you some messed up. I had an old boy come into church one night in Dallas, Texas. He was so drunk they had to carry him, help him to his seat. He was so drunk. Didn't cause problems. We've had people come to this church that way. And sometimes we say, ugh, mm, mm, what are they doing in this church? But he came. His name was Danny. And uh, let me just fast forward and tell you that every, every child that Danny raised is in the church today. They're in the church today. And Danny died a young, young man because he had used alcohol so much that consumption finally got him. But God delivered him from alcohol. But I'll never forget. I'll never forget as long as I live. The longer I preached that night, I didn't used to preach as short as I do now. But the longer I preached that night, the more sober he became. And the more the grace of God got to dealing with him. And I preached that night on this subject. Their rock is not our rock and their God's not our God. And I talked about if the rock, if you fall on the rock, it'll, 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 it'll break you to pieces. It will, it will, you'll be crushed or you'll be blessed. If, but if the rock falls on you, you'll be crushed. I forget how I even preached it. But it's in the Bible. And it just come to me. It's not in my notes. I didn't preach Post Magazine that night. I didn't preach Life. I preached that. And I wasn't even going to use this illustration. But I remember Danny walking up to the front of the church. And I said, oh, God, here comes the man drunk. But when he got to the front of the church, he wasn't drunk. He was sober. And he said, I want Jesus. I want that Jesus. 
and he saw the rock and he had come out of a church that, that, that loved props and, they, and they, they loved to hug crosses and, it, and he fell on that rock and when he fell on that rock, the Lord saved him. I had a huge rock, a huge boulder. I used to be a, a show and tell preacher and, and he fell on that rock and the Lord saved him that night. I baptized Danny. I baptized his whole household that night. And his kids are in San Antonio and his kids are in West Texas. They're everywhere. And every one of them's in the church today. Because it does not matter, folks. It does not matter what state they are when they come in. What matters is what happens to them when God gets a hold of them. Because we've got to have a heart for the purpose of the house, not just looking at people and saying they don't fit here. Am I preaching all right? Separate the human weaknesses and sin nature of people from the infallible purpose of God has for his church. You've got to separate. You've got to separate the weaknesses and the sin nature of people because people are going to make mistakes. People are going to stumble. You're going to have confidence in somebody one day and they're, you're going to say, wow, I didn't know he. Yeah, people make mistakes. But God still has a great church. And we're going to be in that church. You know, how you, you, know, you know how you get up and keep going? You just get up and keep going. The righteous man falls seven times and gets back up. You just, that's a righteous man. You just get back up. Don't you allow hell to tell you you're imperfect. And because you're imperfect, you have no business here. Let me tell you something. You have a lot of business right here. Yes. It's a great place to be. Because God meets his people right here. And I'm telling you, you'll never get good enough. But God made you righteous. By his righteousness, he imputed it into you. It's not mine. Mine's filthy rags, but it's his. Say amen to that. So 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15 says, I love this. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions. So that if, verse 15, if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now watch this. Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of all truth. You got to notice this. I don't know why Jaron don't underline where I underline. I don't get that. I'm going to have to talk to him about that. Notice how the Apostle Paul is separating the conduct of the people from the purpose of the church. Yeah, he's laying down instructions and telling God's people how to conduct themselves. But while he's doing that, he's also saying, I declare the church as heaven's appointed. I declare the church as heaven's anointed. I declare the church as God's household. I declare the church as God's church. I declare the church as the pillar and foundation of truth, which is why with all her faults and blemishes, we still have to remember and credit the church as a carrier of God's truth on all the earth. Why don't we celebrate the church tonight? Why don't we just celebrate the church tonight and clap our hands and say, yes, 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 Jesus has established a glorious church. Amen. See what time it is. I got a little time. I love to dream. I love to dream. I've got a dear friend in Houston, Texas that draws plans. How many of y'all like to go to new model homes and go in and look at them? Come on. Isn't it fun? Man, if I had a million and a half dollars, I'd buy this tomorrow. You know, we do that. I do that with church thoughts. I've been dreaming all week. I've been dreaming how to take a church that seats about 850 people to a church that seats about 1,600 people. 
I've been thinking about it. I've just been dreaming. And, 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 you know, I hadn't been thinking about the money. I've been thinking about people coming into the church. Because this church has not seen its greatest hour. This church has not seen its finest hour. The finest hour of this church is still ahead of this congregation. So why don't you just say, I'm going to get ready. I'm preparing because the church is going to go out shouting, rejoicing in growth and in God's favor. Clap your hands right now all over the house. Lives are being changed here. Say amen. amen. We're going to baptize a gr- bunch of people Sunday. Say amen. amen. Salvations have been coming here. Say amen. amen. Holy Ghost has been falling here. Say amen. amen. The glory of God is healing people here. Say amen. amen. God is bringing lives and hearts and people's families together. Say amen. 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 Some of my greatest counsel lately is not people going separate directions, but people saying, Pastor, I want to get back to where I need to be with my family and my life. I love that because I believe with all my heart when you preach the purpose of God's church and you don't preach on picking on people and putting people down and letting people know that we are just human beings and God remembers that we're just dust. It's an amazing thing what God can do with people who used to be called Simon and now are called Cephas, amen? Now we're not a reed but we're a stone because God Almighty has turned our lives around and I rejoice in that when I see your lives. I rejoice in that when I see the joy in your life and I get happy about that because God is still in the saving business. So here's what I want to, here's what I want to, to tell you now. Why don't, why don't we just start going vintage instead of vogue? Why don't we just, why don't we just, why don't we just go vintage? There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of vogue going on. See, society in general may have ideas about the church than God's heart is for the church. In this vogue society, there's a lot of cliches that separate being a Christ follower. Say Christ follower. From a church attender. It's now common and even vogue to hear people say, I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. Example, disgruntled Danny, let's call him that, left the church maybe several years ago. So now he prays on his porch or in the woods on Sunday morning. He likes Jesus, but he don't like Christians. He likes God, but he don't like religion. There's a lot of disgruntled Dannys out there <laughs> and a lot of bullish bobs. In fact, you can find books and Christian bookshelves that support disgruntled Danny's anti-church attitude. You can buy bumper stickers. You can buy magnets to hang on your refrigerator. You can locate plenty of bloggers and social networkers who will share his, I don't need the church ideas. But as vogue as that may sound, we have to ask ourselves, is that perspective in line with God's thoughts and ideas? Is it? 
Is that the sound of a hurting generation or is it the sound of a bitter, unresolved offense? Or is that a legitimate way for a Christ follower to think? Is it even a fair perspective on the church or is it just focusing on the negative? Does it consider all the great people who have been and continue to be a part of God's great church? I want to say something here. I know that we have imperfect people at CLC, and you have an imperfect pastor. But this imperfect pastor sure in loves, is in love with you imperfect people. And I just want to go to heaven with all of you. Why don't we clap our hands and say, let's go to heaven together. Come on. Clap your hands and say, let's go to heaven together. Come on. Rejoice in the Lord right now. Say, let's go to heaven together. Let's go to heaven together. Amen. There are great People that make up God's great church. Amen. The church is life-changing. The church is history-making. So let's go vintage and not vogue. Vintage, here's what it means. It means to replicate or bring back something new that began in a previous era. Here's something new we need to talk about that began in the previous era. Ephesians 5, 22. We haven't heard this in a while. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Hello. As you do to the Lord. I've married a lot of couples that said, I don't want that submit and obey in my text. In my... This is vintage. For the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. I'm just reading the text. Take it up with Jesus. <laughs> now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I want biscuits in the morning, Patty. I'm teasing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Come on, husbands, say amen. amen. And gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. woo He who loves his wife loves himself. This is more about men than it is women, so I'm working on you now. Ladies, you can go ahead and punch him if you want to. It's all right. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed it and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of this body, and for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Here's the, key, here's the deal. Wife, you don't even have to love him. Just respect him. That's in the Bible. But husbands, you have to love your wives. Put your arm around her right now and say, I love you. That's vintage. We're going back to another era, folks. That's vintage. Everybody say praise the Lord. Jesus is synonymous with the church, and the church is the body of Christ. And I'm finished. So to say I love Jesus but not the church is a contradiction of word and terms. It's saying I love Jesus but I don't love Jesus. I serve Jesus but not Jesus. The church is Christ's body, so I say I serve Jesus and not the church is to say I serve Jesus and not Jesus. To say I love Jesus, but I don't believe in the church is to say I love Jesus, but I don't believe in Jesus. 
See, Jesus is in his church. So if, you, if you've been disgruntled, if something has hurt you from your yesterdays, I'm telling you, you don't take it up with Jesus. He didn't hurt you. The Lord is a savior to you. The Lord's a healer for you. And you've walked in a church here tonight. You've just walked in a church tonight that believes Jesus can fix anything. You've walked in a house tonight believing Jesus can heal anything. Amen? He can heal anything. I've never, I've never been more con- convinced of that in my life. Jesus can fix anything. I wish I could just tell you some of the things that I'm working with right now, folks, and some of the lives that have been so bent and so broken by the enemy, but God Almighty is straightening them out, and we're going to see victory in those people's lives. And they may be in this service tonight, but it is unbelievable what God is doing right now at Christian Life Church. You need to get excited with me because the Lord is turning people's darkness into daylight. He's turning their lost lives into found lives because the purpose of the church is to save and to heal the lost. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Amen. Amen. Everybody say, heart for the house. I want this church to have vintage Jesus in the middle of it. And because I preach it that way, I think you get what you preach. Cast your bread on the water. It'll come back to you. Timothy Dwight wrote a poem, a song a long time ago because I said, I love our church, O Lord. And here's how it goes. I love your church, O Lord, the house of thine abode. He wrote this in 1800. The church, our blessed redeemer, saved with his own precious blood. I love your church, O God. Her walls before thee stand dear as the apple of thine eye, engraven in thine hand. For her my tears shall fall, for her my prayers ascend. Her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways. Her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall be given the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss from heaven. I know tonight that it's just four walls, some texture few lights. Lord, I don't know why orange is on tonight. I thought you're supposed to win something before you turn the orange light on. That's not in my notes either. But I want you to walk in this place with a new, renewed respect for God's house. Because this is Christ's body his body everybody here counts everybody here is important everybody here matters amen amen my dearest friends are in this church I don't have friends any dearer than friends in this church I love this church I love you people and you know what when you love 
it covers a multitude of imperfections and sin. And when we love his house, we're going to look past the imperfections of people that are around us. And we're going to see Jesus because blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Because beauty really is in the eyes of the beholder. Really it is. And I believe with everything that's in me that churches don't have to crater. They can get stronger and stronger and stronger the closer we get to the coming of the Lord. I, I, I don't know if I've stated it to you in a long time, but I believe the coming of the Lord is very imminent. I believe he's coming very, very soon. Amen? And you ought to comfort one another with the fact that the Lord is coming. Praise God. He's coming. He's coming. But I want you to see people through the eyes of love and understand that Jesus died for every person in this house, saved or unsaved. He shed his blood for everybody in this house, not just for you and your family, but for everybody. Jesus loves everybody. He is for the prodigal and he's for the elder son. He doesn't take sides. He's trying to bring them all together. Why don't we just celebrate and start celebrating tonight about what Jesus is going to do here on Sunday. Start celebrating tonight about what Jesus is going to do with people's hearts on Sunday. You never know who's going to go down in the water. You never know how the Holy Ghost is going to fill them when they come out of the water. You never know how Jesus is going to touch people's lives. I'm going to come expecting great and marvelous and glorious things here on Sunday because this is his house. This is his house. This is his house. I love his house. They did a, they did a scientific thing in Waxahachie, Texas several years ago, and it failed, and mushrooms grows in it now, but they made a huge figure eight up there, and what they were trying to do... And, was to decrease the resistance of particular things. Not, not make more power, but just decrease the resistance so that the things that they wanted to move would flow more freely. And it didn't ever work. Never got off. It ran out of money. Many of you remember the walks of Hatchie failure. But I think that's what Jesus wants to do in his house. He's all powerful already. He has all power. He's not going to come with greater power. But what he's trying to do is, re, is reduce the resistance of people that see other people as not being worthy or not being able to do what God wants to do in their life. They can't be saved. They can't get right. They're not the right kind of people. Yes, they are. Jesus loves everybody. Let's reduce the resistance of what he wants to do here. And by the way, I loved your worship tonight. I loved your praise tonight. Wednesday night don't have to be dead, dull, dry, and boring. Thank you, praise team, for igniting Jesus in this place tonight. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Why don't we stand to our feet and clap our hands all over the building right now and just praise him. 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 And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.